Well, welcome. We're glad you're here. And as Pastor Mark mentioned, we're going to be kind of retelling our Spark story. So for those of you who have been here from the beginning or who are just showing up today, hopefully it'll be a revisiting of a story that uh, everyone here in this space and on the space online and in the space of the last now almost nine years shares a bit of this story. We're going to be looking at um, how we understand beginnings and how we understand community and how we understand who Spark is and what we're trying to do here together, um, just so we can share a little bit and maybe reimagine and recreate together. I think this has been a season for many of us of kind of trying to reconsider what our world and our worship and our practices look like in light of current circumstances. For example, in about just nine years ago, when we first met, and this will come as a shock to you, we were not outside. We were inside that building, not here in this yard. Now, maybe the kids were here, but you all were not sitting in rows like this outside. Um, I don't know if you also noticed, none of you were wearing masks. Not one. And if one of you had shown up with masks, we're like, oh dear, we should pray for that person. Because clearly they have, you know, a reason they need to protect themselves. They're sick. Something's going on. Like maybe they're having immunosuppressed situation. Like, go pray. But I am not concerned about any one of you out here, masked or unmasked, because I know that you're taking the proper precautions and this is now somehow normal. So some things have changed. And we thought this might be a good season to reconsider and invite everybody into the ongoing and continual process of creating what we're doing here together for the sake and the glory of Jesus Christ. Okay? It's cool? You guys all cool with that? All right, we're going to get started. In the beginning. This is from Genesis chapter 1, not the beginning of Spark Story. Okay, just in case you're curious, we're not quite this old yet. Um, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was a formless void. And that, in Hebrew, it's tohu vavohu. So here we have, Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim ve'et ha'aretz v'ha'aretz ha'ita tohu vavohu. Just formless, crazy void, uh, a bit of chaos. Uh, When my daughter was learning this word, tohu vavohu, and learning the story of creation in her kindergarten class, um, they were telling them tohu vavohu, and so they would take all the kinders, kinders outside, and then the teachers would trash the classroom and, like, just disorder the whole thing. Chairs upside down, tables on their side, everything sort of thrown apart. And then they bring the kids back in and say, this is tohu vavohu. And when God saw this, then God started to hover over this total chaos and darkness, the hoshech and the tahom, the deep abyss and void emptiness in front of it. The next verse, after God sets all that up, is as we look at this together, we see that God's hovering over these, all these places, tahom, tohu vavohu, hoshech. The wind or the spirit or the breath of God The word ruach can mean all of those things. Hovered or trembled or fluttered over the face of the waters. And in ancient Near Eastern thought, ancient Hebrew thought, water was a place of chaos, of the abyss, of tohu vavohu, of darkness. And that's where we find God's presence hovering. So as they invited those kinders back in the world, they're like, look at this world is tohu vavohu. 
There's chaos everywhere. And this is what God is going to speak into and start to order. God hovers over this chaos. And if you haven't yet seen it and you have a chance, shoot Kevin an email and look at his amazing teaching video that he's done on God hovering over chaos. Because really, we could have just shown that this afternoon. It's excellent. So go in and watch that. It's really good. This is the beginning of our story. Now, I don't know if you and I, you and I may have grown up in a different thing. Like, I kind of thought like God just showed up and everything was good. Like it was good. It was good. It was good. But if we step all the way back to this first verse in Genesis, we notice that there's chaos and there's a formless void. There's an abyss and there's darkness. And it's over that tohu vavohu and hoshech and tahom that God then says, as he's hovering over all of that creation, God will start to speak. Now, I think a lot of us in, in life, in our life today, we look and we see places of chaos and tohu vavohu, and we think God is not there, right? We look at things out of order and disordered, and we presume the absence of the divine rather than what this story is telling us, which is that God is actually present right there in it, hovering over it. When we're caught up in the daily chaos of living, we often forget, I often forget, that just as present as the chaos is the hovering of the Spirit of God. And that we're surrounded in those moments by the Creator God and the creative power of God's love. God's presence is in the midst of all of that. God actually creates it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Bereshit bara Elohim et hashemaim ve'et ha'aretz v'ha'aretz. The land, ha'ita tohu v'vohu. And the darkness, the choshech, al penei tachom, was over the face of the deep. And in that chaos then, God says, let there be light. Vayhi or God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now, for those of you who don't know, one of the reasons why we are called Spark is because of this story. And not quite nine years ago now, we actually opened our first service with all of these verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Because the first thing that God creates in the midst of that tohu vavohu hovering over all of the chaos and the void and the formless and the emptiness and the darkness, God says, let there be light. Calls light out of all of that, hovers all of that. And spark is light. So we talked nine years ago about how spark is a noun and a verb. Sparks a noun. It's a small particle of burning substance thrown out by a larger body in combustion. And it's a hot glowing particle struck from a larger mass, especially when heated by friction. And it's also that verb. It, it throws off sparks to spark something, right? Um, to set off a burst of activity, activate. And, and the question sparked a lively discussion, for example, or she sparked her team to victory. Or as the newspaper said when Kevin was in high school, Nooner sparks Napa. Was it? Yeah, something like that, because he, he, he made all the goals in soccer. So, I didn't know him then, but I pretend that I did, and then I got to cheer for him. Nooner Sparks Nap. 
So to spark something is to start something, to throw off a particle and also to be that light, to be a spark. And we wanted to tell everybody close to nine years ago, as people would say things like, my goodness, you're going to start a church. Like you're actually going to quit your job and lose all of your stability and go start something without any um, actual like sending organization or, you know, any of those kinds of things. Thank goodness my husband still had a paying job with benefits. Um, people say, are you nervous? Are you worried? And we said, no. That sounds super arrogant, obnoxious, but it actually was not born of arrogance. It's because we didn't start the fire. We're not trying to be the fire. We're just doing the spark thing. God is the one that called out light a long time ago. This idea of a group of people gathering together to try to understand the creator God of the universe, to try to follow the way of Jesus, this is not a new idea. It's not even really a revolutionary idea, although it does bring about a love revolution in the world. But people have been doing this. They've been forming in an ecclesia, the word that is used in the Greek in the New Testament for church and a gathering. They've been forming in that since Mount Sinai. It just means an assembly. We're we're not going to try. I don't know if you know this here at Spark. We are not trying to be a big church. Good thing, huh? Because if we were trying that, we'd be doing a terrible job. Um, We wanted to simply be a place where light shone bright, where people could come and find order being pulled out of chaos, and where we could come and draw closer to the person of Jesus. Now, when we started that a long time ago, our logo looks like this. It doesn't look like that at all anymore, does it? It looks a little bit different, but I still have those very old business cards. And as we started thinking about even what the name would be or what we might call this place, we would go and have conversations with lots of different friends. Okay, when we were having these conversations, we'd have conversations with people like who ran restaurants, who ran businesses in the area. We'd have conversations of other people who are pastors in the area. And we'd say, if you were starting a church, what are three things you would make sure to do? And what are three things you would make sure not to do, right? Um, we asked that question about from, from Rabbi Ari. He told us some brilliant and great advice early on because he started this congregation when it first was in First Presbyterian Church in Palo Alto. What would you do? What would you not do? He had some great advice. So we had all those questions and conversations early on. And one of the conversations that happened probably about nine, 12 months or so before we ever had an opening service was actually on a rooftop bar in Puerto Vallarta. So, you know, me and Kevin hanging out. There's a lot of 80s music bumping. Um, It was the first time we'd really done anything crazy like this. And we actually missed Thanksgiving with my family, which I'm a big family holiday girl and we would never do. We went there. We didn't have turkey at all. And as we sat late at night, one night, we started having this conversation. What are five values that we feel like our whole life is sort of revolving around? Jesus, yes. What are the five ways we try to live out this life with Christ? And we put these five values together. And the first one was love. Obviously, God's love for us, God's invitation and command for us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, and yes, even love our enemies. We felt like that is core to who Christ is. I mean, the the Bible is clear that they will know you are his disciples by your love, right? So we thought, okay, love is there. And then we also talked about reputation and reconciliation and rescue and resurrection, But these were just five words that we felt like, 
And we're going to talk about all these five words in the coming weeks that we felt like we're spinning around all of the various ways in which we were finding the presence of God hovering over the chaos. We came back and we talked about those five words on our deck. Um, I'm sorry, Kevin, I know you're leaning over and eating, um, but we're always having food at our home. But that was the only picture where I actually had written those five values on a piece of butcher paper and stuck it to our fence. And then we had uh, just a handful of people, some people who are still here, some people who aren't here anymore for a variety of reasons, moved out of the area, etc. And we walked from our house over here and we looked at the space that Rabbi Ari had generously offered for Spark to meet in. And we just started to ask some questions. What might it look like? This is like six months before we started. And are these the values? Are these the ways in which we want to try to live out the way of Jesus in the world? And what do you guys think of the name Spark? We just had those conversations early on. And you'll see Junior was there jamming on our deck, still having those beautiful worship moments, trying to think about what we might build here together. Some of you were not yet married and you definitely didn't yet have children. These two people were not yet married and they did not yet have children, but now there's two little kids running around. There's actually a few of you guys in this picture who are not yet married that we got to officiate weddings as Sparks started. And we decided to simply grow our church through your, uh, you know, your obedience to the command to be fruitful and multiply. Very good. Um, And this was our first Sunday. Look, Ish, who's out the front door doing security for us today, he's sitting there helping us put sparklers all together and getting ready for everybody to come in the room. You guys, it was just slow church from the beginning. You know the slow food movement? We were trying very hard to have slow church. To have a church in a place where people got to know one another, where we loved one another, where we heard one another's stories, and the church that would take the shape of the people who showed up. Now, in the beginning, continued, let's go back to our Genesis story. There's another portion of our Genesis story, our creation story. We have that first one. And now after those seven days, God rests. But then it tells in Genesis 2, a second version of creation. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And then the Lord God formed a human, an Adam, from the dust of the Adama of the ground. And he breathed into the human's nostrils the breath of life and the human became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there God put the human God had formed. The Lord God took the human and put the human in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now, I know many of us perceive the Garden of Eden to just be like a paradise picture, right? You want um, palm trees and a hammock. Me too. Like beautiful waters, all of that. Like that's what we imagine with the Garden of Eden. But the Bible tells a different story. The Bible says that the place of Eden, the place of harmony, of harmony between us And God, with us and one another, between us and all of creation, is a place where we get to work. We get to work the soil. We get to be discipled by the Lord God, who first, God's self, plants the garden, gets God's own hands dirty, and then invites the Adam, the humanity, to also come and do the same. I came across this really beautiful quote from um, Orthodox 
Jewish rabbi, very famous of the last century, Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik. And he says this in his book, The Halakhic Man. When God created the world, God gave an opportunity for the work of God's hands for humans to participate in creation. The creator, as it were, impaired reality in order that mortal person could repair its flaws and perfect it. Just as the Almighty constantly refined and improved the realm of existence during the six great days of creation, ultimately coming to the creation of humanity and ultimately coming to the beauty of that Shabbat rest. Just as the Almighty constantly refined and improved the realm of existence during the six days of creation, so must humanity complete that creation and transform the domain of chaos and void into a perfect and beautiful reality. The most fundamental principle of all is that humans must create, and then I added, and recreate themselves. I like this idea. It's really thought-provoking. That when God created, God created work. He created opportunity for us to engage in bringing order out of that chaos. That God shows us how to do that work as God tends the garden, gives us something to do, and gives us an ongoing vocational calling to come into creation. And I think that as we remember our beginning, as we remember that in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of fires, of hurricanes, of earthquakes, of war, of systemic violence and injustice, of illnesses, of disappointment, of conflict, we're also invited to create and then recreate to dream, to imagine, to embrace that prophetic imagination of what could be in the midst of this chaos, to look towards the future and put all of our efforts and hope into what Jesus might have us do next in our life and in Spark. I think it's quite easy to feel overwhelmed by the chaos. It's easy to feel paralyzed by what we see in front of us or within our own lives or in our own households. And I just wanted us to know today that even as we're meeting outside and recreating and reimagining what church looks like today, we shouldn't be surprised that the chaos is here. It's been here since the beginning. We need to turn our eyes towards the presence of the divine, to the presence of Jesus here in our midst, bringing order and love and work and hope out of that chaos. Creation happens. The Genesis story doesn't tell us that it happened only a long time ago. The Genesis story also tells us that it's continuing to happen. We're continually invited into the vocational calling of tending, nurturing, loving, creating, even in the midst of the chaos. God's creative work is still at work in this world. From the garden to the recreation of the world at the flood, a total retelling of that creation of the world. And you can look at it. It's exactly repeating different portions from Genesis 1 into Genesis 6 and 7. To the recreation of the world of flood, to the entrance of the Israelites into the land, which is a garden, and all this Edenic imagery is being used there. From Song of Songs, full of Edenic imagery. From the Garden of Gethsemane, to the garden tomb at the resurrection, and and to Revelation, and the garden we see there at the end. We are constantly living and reading a story that honors the creation and the need and the call of God's recreating and re-inviting us over and over again into this beautiful process. We're still living in that redemptive story, surrounded by the presence of a loving creator God made known through Christ. 
One of the things we've said since the very beginning is that Spark will take the shape of whomever is here and brings their gifts and their good efforts and invests in it. Spark takes the shape of whoever comes and gets their hands dirty and wants to make it work again. I'll give you an example. Tony, our barista, who's not here today because he got a paying gig, which is great. So he's doing that, which he should totally do. But nine years ago, nearly, when we first started, Tony, we didn't know him. We just hired some random coffee cart company to come for the first Sunday only. And then he was at the back and he was listening and talking. And he said to me at the end, he goes, you know, you could have me come here every week. And I was like, I'm barely holding rent here. Like, I don't think I'm going to afford the coffee cart every week. He got, he worked a deal. And now Tony is like member two, right, of Spark and a fixture here. He knows everybody's names. He knows everybody's drink orders. He's become family. Spark takes the shape of the people who come here and invest and offer it up. And do you know that he's not here, so I'm going to brag about him. Um, I'll brag about him to his face too. He volunteers his time and goes down to Dignity on Wheels and City Team. And he takes his cart. And because of the efforts of Sparkers here who financially support he goes and makes sure that those who are waiting for laundry or showers or who are in transitional spaces and time have the moment of dignity of being able to walk up to a cart and place whatever order they want. He just does that. So Spark now gets to sponsor that because it takes the shape of the people who come and put their hands on it. Spark will take the shape of those who put their hands on it, who come, of you, who come, plant, build, who work together. And our hands now today are both the same as they were nine years ago, and they're changed, aren't they? We've lived through some stuff over the last nine years. Things have shifted. It has felt often that even sometimes the ground has shifted underneath us. But what we recreate now in this next season will be the same and in other ways also new. It'll be changed by what we've lived through individually as a church, as a nation, as humanity. But what is unchanging is Jesus. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what is unchanging is the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is love. So as we look then at our new logo and our new icons, which aren't new anymore, they're like a couple years, at least a few years old now, the values haven't changed in nine years. And they're not changing as we recreate and go forward because they're set in the person of Jesus Christ. When we talk about love here at Spark, we talk about being loved by God being just walking around confident that the Father is fond of you, that the Creator God loves you, knit you together in your mother's womb on purpose, with intentionality, making no error or mistake, that you are created in the image and the likeness of God for good in this world, that God looked at you and God said, good, very good, tov ma'od. And when we know that we have been loved by a God who loves us just because, just because it is God's very nature for God so loved the world that God gave God's only son, that because of that, then we can respond with love to God. And as we love God in return, which is just such an incredible, amazing thing that there's a God of the universe that's like, hey, want to love me? That would be so awesome. Okay. Just love, love. I'm going to love you. And you just love me back. That'd be great. Let's just love each other. So God, we respond to God's great love by loving God in return. And we demonstrate that love for God and our love for one another. 
our sacrificial love for one another, the ways in which we lean forward and we find ways to simply hold one another in love, in grace, in mercy, and in love. And if Spark is known for nothing else, but we are known for being loving, then we will have done much of what Christ has called us to do. Now, love, let's, let's be careful. It's not a feeling necessarily. It's an action. Like when God says that God loves us, God is saying that as God is redeeming Israel out of slavery, rescuing us and bringing freedom. Before Israel even knows God's name, before Israel can even respond to a covenantal relationship with God because Sinai has not yet happened, God just loves and God acts. That action of love is on display in the world. Bishop Michael Curry, who's the uh, head of the Episcopal Church here in the U.S., says this in his book, Love is the Way. The way of love is how we stay decent during indecent times. We can no longer afford the demonic luxury of bigotry or the false hope of hatred. We must learn to live together as brothers and sisters, all of us children of God. As Dr. King often said in this regard, we have two choices before us, chaos or community. The way of love starts to push the chaos back and start to pull order and community in the world. Now, love does not mean agreement, but love is an action on display. We treat one another with a generous love, leaning into the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Now, when we hear this command, I give you a new command today, as Jesus says in the book of John, to love one another and that they will know that you are my disciples by your love. Have you ever felt like, but I don't feel loving towards this person. I can't, I can't manufacture this feeling. In fact, I feel pretty much the opposite of loving towards this person in my life right now. And maybe it's even a person you have to share a home with or a cubicle with, right? And in those moments, and this is just my little helpful tip. I don't know if it helps you or not. I hope it helps you. I just think, God, I cannot love this person today. This person's driving me crazy and I can't love them. But I know that you love them. And I know that you don't need any help loving that person because you just love. So I'm going to pray right now that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would give me everything I need in order to sense your love for that person and then put it into action. And just start to choose loving action for the person with you. But I just want to let you know you can ask God for help, okay? It's not all about you having to do it by yourself. <clears throat> what I like about this quote is this idea that we have the chaos in front of us. We have the indecent times in front of us. And it is easy in those moments to draw hard lines, to decide which camp you're with, to say that we're on the right or we're on the left or we're in the middle or we will take a stand or we won't take a stand or we're going to do this or we're not going to do this. And this is the Jesus way and that is not the Jesus way and decide all of the things in between about who's in and who's out, all of those things. But instead that just brings chaos. The way of love is what brings community. The way of love seeks to understand first rather than to be understood. The way of love pushes forward and tries to find where Christ is at work in that chaos and starting to pull order out of it. The chaos, the sin, the hurt, the disappointment, the pain does not need to surprise us. It does not need to shock us or push us off center. When we see things out of order in the word, in this world, we don't need to become overwhelmed. We don't need to question the very existence of God. Our story starts at the beginning with the chaos there. And where we encounter the chaos, then we can also find the presence of God hovering over it. When we're searching for the presence of God, we will find the spirit of the Lord hovering over the chaos and speaking forth light 
and love. It's the community of love that we are going to create here and continue to create here at Spark in our homes and in the world. And when we look back at these moments of chaos in our life, we find Jesus present. We find Christ's love and we will be defined by that. We won't be abandoned to the chaos. We will be hovered over and loved in the midst of it. That's my hope for Spark. Life is hard. There are moments of great difficulty, of significant loss and death, of actual abandonment. And we can look back on these traumas in our life. We can look back at these traumas in this world and only see the chaos. And my prayer is that if we look back, we will see Christ's love show up in one another. That we will see, yes, there was a traumatic event. Yes, there was chaos. Yes, there was pain. But Christ showed up for me in that moment because you showed up and you brought a meal and you went shopping and you made sure there was somebody here to pray, to give a hug and to be present and to start to call light into the midst of the darkness by the power of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians chapter 13 is the famous marriage passage, right? Like you can't really go to any wedding without 1 Corinthians chapter 13 being read. And this was actually a joke Kevin and I used to tell. They'd say, look, where did you meet? We said, well, we met at Bible college in Corinthians class, chapter 13. Okay, so we, <clears throat> I know, very ridiculous. Um, he, he got my attention. I thought he was ridiculous at first. And then I, within like two months, my sister was like, you're talking an awful lot about this boy. And then she asked all of my other good friend in the car, she's like, so are we all in agreement that we think Kevin, Daniel probably likes this guy named Kevin? I was like, no, I don't. And then um, we went on a first date and 28 days later we were engaged. So there you go. Okay. When we read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning verse 1, we read things like, and I will now show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I have possessed to the poor and surrender my body to flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And it goes on. When Paul wrote this, he was not doing marriage counseling. He was not officiating a wedding. Paul wrote this to a church in Corinth that was in a bit of chaos. They were fighting amongst each other for who was best, who had the most important gifts, who was the most incredible. They were sleeping with one another's spouses. They were like doing terrible things with communion. They were doing terrible work. And Paul knows that the way forward for them, the way of hope is love. And in that, it's very beautiful, isn't it? It's like this beautiful poetry and it persists on, but read it in the context of the whole letter. There's such hope in it because it's the way forward in the midst of the chaos. And I think in our nation, and our world, as I read the updated climate reports yesterday, 
that just knock me flat and I can't believe that it's not top of the news everywhere, that we have very little time left, I feel overwhelmed. And I'm like, this chaos is too big. And where is the hope and what can we do? And are we just stuck in the reality of fires constantly and hurricanes constantly and selfishness of our leaders and of corporations and greed? Where I just feel overwhelmed. I feel like Paul is telling us that the way forward is love and that we can start to see hope out of that chaos by seeking out that love. For Jesus followers, love is the rule for living. It's how we are to be known as his disciples in the world. It isn't a sentiment. It's not a feeling only. It's the remedy to a people divided for a world, for a nation, for a family, a marriage, a city, a neighborhood, a church, wherever we are, love is the way forward. It is the way of Jesus and it is the way that brings hope. And in pursuing and living the way of love, the way of Jesus, we will find the spirit of God hovering over us, inviting us to dream, to imagine, to reimagine, to create, to recreate anew, a community focused on Christ's love and living out that love in action for one another. My hope spark is that together we look at this season and we recreate. We don't get distracted by the pandemic or the climate change or the chaos or the illness or things. We look, and instead of looking and focusing on the chaos and the hurt and the pain, let's look and focus on the way of love. Let's look and focus on the way of Christ. Where can we find hope here? Let's start here, love one another, find ways to seek out active, practical ways to love your neighbors to love my neighbors, to find ways to make eye contact over the mask, to try to do any little bit of connection. And if you're in need of experiencing that salvific, life-changing love that changes everything for you and me, it changes how we see ourselves in this world, how we walk around and go, I can't believe the Father's fond of us all, that God loves us, that God loves his creation. If you don't know that love, there are people here that would love to pray with you and share that love with you today. And maybe we've fallen away from it. Maybe there have been places where we've just kind of lost our way and we've forgotten that the most important thing about being a Jesus follower is knowing that we're loved, that Christ has laid down his life for us in service and that we are called to lay down our lives in service to one another because it is an act of love. That our love can be on display in this world in very small and very big ways. And that our generosity and our grace and our mercy and our willingness to do as Paul has said, to not count up wrongs, to find ways in which we can continue just to lean in and love one another, loving the imperfect person that sits in front of the mirror, and in front of us, around our dinner tables, at work, at our schools. The way of Jesus, the way of hope forward is love. And I hope that wherever we're at this week, in whatever moments, the power of the Holy Spirit would fill us up 
and give us only that source of love that is found in Christ, in the creator God that hovers over the chaos and hovers over the darkness and hovers over the tohu vavohu and all of that. And it speaks light and love and order. That's my prayer for us. And that's my hope for Spark going forward. Wherever we go in the next nine years, whether we continue to be outside, cold, shivering, wet, dry, inside, masked, not masked, all of those places. I'm praying that we will know that we are covered and hovered over by God's love and that we can be that love for one another in this place and space. I see that in each of you. I see such generous love in you, such generous hope in each one of you. I see Christ in you and it gives me hope and it calls me out of my chaos. And I'm grateful for you, Spark, and I'm grateful for the light that you shine in this world. And I'm praying together, we'll lean into this love of Christ and start to bring hope into a world that deeply needs it for ourselves and for others. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. All are welcome at this table.